Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to season three of the Agile World, where we discuss customer and employee experience, organizational and workforce transformation, and how business can adapt and continually improve in an Agile age. The Agile World podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full stack technology services, talent services, and real world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed in this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile World podcast. Today, we're going to talk about how organizations can optimize their ability to make decisions and some approaches that Agile companies are using to do this. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Diane Majors, founder and chief experience officer at Experience Catalyst. Welcome back to the show, Diane. Hey, it's a pleasure to be back. It's always delightful to have a conversation with you, Greg. Yeah, love love talking with you. So let's let's get started here, um, and uh, let's talk about uh, organizations' ability to be agile in their decision making process. Um, we can make the distinction here between the big A agile, as in strictly subscribing to the agile methodology. Um, or the small a agile, as in just generally being adaptive, nimble, and methodical in approach to improvement. Um, but you know, what do you what do you see as the biggest challenge to organizations being able to be nimble in their decision making process? Uh, I don't think sometimes they have all the right information or people in the room. Um, I've seen a lot of organizations who make a decision and then without without the right people or information. Um, They go out and try to do something and it becomes, um, hey, we need to check this or this needs to be engaged and involved. So my my thought is that, you know, truly having um, the right structure around what you need to make that decision, um, the right buy in, the right information is really critical to making to being nimble, because nimble, you can be nimble to make a decision, but the right decision is much harder. How do organizations figure this out? I mean, I know every every place is different, and and maybe there's different different roles and and stuff that need to be in the room. But how do how do you help? Because you know you work with a lot of the top brands and work with some great organizations out there. Like, how do you work with them to help them figure out who needs to be in the room? Uh, it's it's a lot of um, thinking through the ecosystem of what that that decision is going to make. So I've, I've seen organizations who have adopted things like mind mapping, where as they think about a decision, they think about the um, outward, you know, what is this going to impact? Um, that means who do we need to have in the room? Um, and, and really explore that before they make the decision. Um, and that's been very helpful for them to be, again, agile with understanding that before they make the decision, go out and do the reverse. Yeah. I've also seen organizations who are really trying to adopt because of agile being more iterative, um, that they want to, instead of making decisions that are these huge bets, they're carving off a small project and being iterative with it to learn from it, to test out um, if the decision is right. So we know sometimes with the big decisions organizations make like organizational structures or some of the other pieces that they don't really try it on or try it out before they go. Um, and that tends again to come back to them. So I'm, I'm all for being agile, but in the right way, as I said before. So that's a couple of ways I've seen organizations begin to think about how they move forward yeah. faster, but smarter. 
are there times where um, being agile is not the right approach, I guess, you know, just, uh, I know we're on the agile world podcast here, but, but, uh, <laughs> you know, just, uh, you know, are there time like, cause I totally, obviously I agree with the, the iterative approach. And I think in, in many cases that's true, but, you know, have you found, is it a fault of the organization or just kind of they're, they're stuck in a, in a more traditional mindset or are there times where it just, you know, you've, you've found it challenging just to, to get them to iterate. Um, I, I think once you identify and test it out, like I'm a huge fan of, um, I'm going to say pilots, but people often think of that being like, we're just, we're going to roll it out and then we're going to, you know, to a small group and we're going to do it. But what I'm talking about is really trying out even the concepts with your, like your customers or your partners um, to really test out uh, a, a prototype, um, a really rough prototype sometimes to think about the decisions that you're going to make and how you can move that forward um, without having to make the big bets right on um, track. So breaking down what I call the big decision into smaller boulders and pebbles that all eventually feed up to that bigger decision um, where they're doing it. H how have they done it? I think has been a wide range of adopting sometimes design thinking. Um, I think it's an, an a portion of being more transparent in the organization um, that they're they're talking about the fact that big decisions require informed and transparent approaches about what they're going to go do um, that they take these regular intervals of getting feedback that they know that the teams are helping and being a part of that decision um, so that's that's really some of the ways I've seen them do it um, I also see them um, engaging the organization in deeper ways. And what I mean by that is when typically decisions get made, um, there is pushback because the organization, um, you know, sees it as a decision and then they've got to adjust their thinking and what they do sometimes around this decision. And what I've seen great organizations do is bring the front line and the people actually doing the work, all levels of that organization in to think through the choices and decisions they need to make to move forward so that it builds this um, value. You know, if somebody values your input as an employee, right, they value the input, you're part of that decision-making, it holds you more accountable and it's more valuable to you because you've been a part of that. So it's this, I call it collaboration. It's not really collaboration. It's just, it's sense that everybody matters and everybody has a part to play um, in helping the organization make decisions and move quicker. That also speaks to me to diversity, right? And there's lots of ways of looking at diversity. And um, I think an, one way of looking at it is the background, the skill sets, the, the interests and, and things like that, that to, to your earlier point, um, different people can bring to bear. Um, how do you think that diversity um, plays into, you know, better outcomes and, and, and stuff like that? Because I think you get many different perspectives. I mean, if you think about what we do and, and typically in, um, so journey mapping has been, you know, adopted by many, many organizations. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's been around a long time, so it's not new, but right. I think why it's important is that, as you get people together in the room who typically don't work together, frontline to executives and the end to end, that people 
kind of open their eyes a little bit to um, the impact their decisions make. Um, I keep talking about these decisions because I think being agile means you're you're making decisions quicker um, and and really trying to to sense that horizon scanning um, and bring that back into the organization to shift what you're doing. So it makes a lot of times this is these small decisions. So I keep I keep referring to decisions, but that's what I mean by it. How do you know when you're doing it well? So in other words, uh, to put a measurement component to this, are there are there analytics or are there ways that because um, agile, you know, moving iteratively towards towards the end goal, you know, when you achieve the goals or or, or achieve steps mm-hmm. towards that goal. But how do you know that you're making the right incremental steps along the way? What what best practices or you know what what things can organizations do to 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 help assess this? Well, I think organizations have um, often been a little, I would say, slack in identifying. Uh, what are those indicators? So I think it's not, you know, what are organizations doing? I think it's the fact that they're not doing that. (laughs) They're not really identifying success from an intangible standpoint as where it's tangible. And what I mean by that is when when you have, let's say you pull together a cross-functional team who's going to work on a project, um, maybe it's something you want to put in an incubator and you're trying to really figure out what that, you know, the new next new product feature is going to be. When people are a part of that and they and they they talk about you know we're going to go try this out we're going to be agile and innovative and and try those um, new things on um, I think if they can help define what it means to be successful like that what's that victory circle look like when we reach the end what does success look like when we're done um, having them to define it rather than the executive saying this is what I think it looks like they define it they understand what it means to move there. So let's take an example that's kind of fuzzy of organizations who are agile are typically very much more collaborative. Um, They um, think about how they're going to pull people in from different perspectives in order to make that successful. So how do you know? How do you measure collaboration? And one of the things that we put into place in a big organization I worked in was um, things like having cross-functional team charters that allowed us to actually see the organization was working differently and measuring the success afterwards of if somebody was part of an agile, um, I say agile, but a, a prototype team or an incubation team that at the end of that project, it wasn't only about did we achieve the goals for the project, but how did people feel about the pace of change, about the pace of the work that they were doing and how um, using an agile approach to be agile even would, was work, working for them and how they could see it working in the organization. So we judge success by the people who are part of it and what they saw differently to what I call that um, positive, positive spin on what went well and what didn't went well. Um, a lot of organizations don't do that retrospection on what they're, what they're looking to accomplish from a um, we want to be more agile, we want to be more collaborative, we want to be more innovative. They don't put um, measures against that. They they simply kind of paint a goal out there and, and hope they get there. Well, hope isn't a strategy. You've got to put those other pieces in place and do the retrospection, learn from what happened within that, and adjust how you're going to be agile. Yeah, it's kind of taking the 
meta it, it's kind of the meta approach to um i, I liked your the way the way you put it you know be, being agile about being agile because it you know it does take that i mean particularly for organizations that i think are whether they're new to agile in in and of itself or just a team is is adopting a new way of working or, or something like that within within a bigger org um i do think it takes that introspection to um to just figure out because yeah you can you can technically achieve your goals right but mm -hmm. everybody's miserable getting there and they're not yeah. willing to reproduce the same you know processes to get there right so yeah yeah, you know, if it, if, they, if it felt uncomfortable and it, it didn't work for the organization, everything should be a little uncomfortable, right? That's part of being agile. You should be right. pushed a little bit to the edge, which is, right. <laughs> which is, uh, uh, you have to balance that as well. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I, I think you're right. You have to um, really do a, a good debrief on how it worked for the organization or how it didn't work. And the things that you, you can't do, at least now, <laughs> because yeah. it, it is a it is a step by step. It's the the process of being more having more agility. We'll call it um, does come not overnight. And I know a lot of organizations who went through the COVID response um, became agile overnight. Yeah. And yeah. I often um, wonder. I haven't. I've been reading a few things about this, but I I often wonder: um, Are we going to settle back into a lull? and lose all the things we learned about our ability to be agile um, and make changes um, that is really what organizations need to be doing um, and not lose that because we had a crisis. Yeah. I mean, you proved you could do it um, during COVID. Now, were there bodies in the road, so to speak? Probably. <laughs> there were probably right, people right. Who, who didn't, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean um, they, they didn't... Um, it wasn't the way that the organization could run. And some people just can't run that fast. They're just not good at change. And that that's going to be a part of, to be honest with you, how people should be thinking about hiring and the talent that they get. Yeah. Is, and do I, you I have think people we, adjust to change well? I, I, and I think we saw that early enough on in, you know, those organizations that were already kind of nimble, you know, they, I don't know that anyone was necessarily thriving in, you know, during the pandemic and, you know, don't, I don't want to, you know, there, there was lots of terrible things happening and, and whatever, mm -hmm. but um, I think you saw the, the agile organizations, they didn't miss too much of a beat, right? Even mm -hmm. if they weren't a hundred percent remote already, they, they quickly pivoted and, and did what they needed to do. And then, you know, the, those organizations, I do feel like there's a there's a gravity sort of in in organizations, and you know it's, it it kind of depends on the culture, and you know so settling back in if if agility is sort of the the status quo, then they're they probably won't they won't go back to a previous way because they were always they were always nimble. I do fear that there's a lot of organizations that proved they were capable of amazing things, but they are going to settle back into sort of like gravity is going to take effect and just they're going to settle back into into status quo and and not not achieve all the things that they could and that's that's a shame for those people that were probably actually energized despite all the terrible things happening in the world like they were energized by the the just the the energy and the 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 be, rising up to the challenge i guess i agree i totally agree 
Well, let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit here and um, talk about upskilling and and its its relationship to agility. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about for lots of reasons upskilling, whether it's to outpace automation, which you know is um, certainly a lot of people talking about. Auto- I think 30% of many people's jobs can be automated and and so on and so forth. Um, what are you seeing in companies that you work with from, you know, their approach to upskilling and why they're doing it, how it's working and, and things like that? I think that um, for a successful agile transformation is kind of what we're talking about because everybody's got to get on that, that train as fast as the pace of change is happening. Um, I hear a lot of organizations and I've kind of adopted it myself, this capability if I, if I look at a capability list for an organization, it's typically things, um, you know, supply chain is a capability, human resources and some of the piece, their, their, their capabilities. But what I don't see on a lot of those capability maps are the softer skills for executives, for example, you know, emotional intelligence or the ability for everybody to be a technologist at some scale. Like everybody in the organization needs to know enough about technology, as I call it, to be dangerous, yeah. um, but, but to know that. Um, it's about identifying the, the mindset and the skills that you need in order to empower decisions to, to be more agile. Um, so I don't think organizations have really stepped back and look at different positions and what they want those to be. Um, I mean, we know that um, senior leaders, as I said, with, with soft skills and kind of leading with with direction and not really having a destination, so to speak, is one of those uh, for them. Or product owners who have the ability to begin to really envision and engage with their product rather than it being about the product itself. That the the product serves a purpose to your human um, and improves their life in some way um, has really shifted a lot of product managers to to begin with that that human need in mind and back into the product, um, which has created a lot of value for the, for the organization as well. Yeah. It's those kinds of, I would call them skills because a mind, sometimes it's a skill, but a lot of times it's a mindset or a behavior that we see change in order to get people to be more agile. Yeah, and I, th- I think you, you're, you're definitely um, inferring this already, but you know, just to just to ask, like, upskilling, does it necessarily mean that you have to master an entirely new set of skills? So, in other words, um, somebody needing to understand technology doesn't need to know how to write and compile Java code, right? Um, right. Exactly. Um, so, how does this like? It, it's kind of like how does knowing a little bit about a lot help companies and individuals? to, you know, to, to do this, this agile transformation. I I completely agree with you that I think every organization, if they're not already starting that process, they need to get started pretty soon. But yeah, how does, what, what's the depth of knowledge that you think is, is necessary to, you know, for upskilling to be, to be, um, to be useful? Uh, I think you have to have at least a, uh, an awareness. Let's start with kind of what, what you would do. So awareness, but I think a working knowledge of what that particular skill or task or topic is all about. So I'll give you an example of this. When we were in one organization and we were doing an, um, an SAP implementation, which involves pretty much everything in the organization, process, 
<laughs> um, yeah. master data, you know, anything you want, anything you want to talk about. And I didn't really know about a lot about uh, process. I don't have a Lean Six Sigma. I don't have a lot of that background. Not my strong suit. Detail. Mm. Um, but I learned enough to begin to understand how and why it was valuable. What were some of the the um, benefits it could provide to the way I was looking at things? Um, master data, same thing. Um, the importance of the structure, governance, and cleanliness of the data. Um, if people got their eyes open to that, would make a difference in how they thought about data, how they would collect data, and how they would use that data in a more effective way. So I think it's identifying the right amount of information for the position that you're deep in. So I think about the skill set as kind of a T, right? The T across the top is end-to-end. -end, you have to know a little bit about everything going on in the organization. Yeah. That's, that's why executives have rotations across an organization, right? Yeah. That's why... That's why they do that. But then the deep knowledge is where, you know, your specialization is, whether it's sales or, or whatever else. And I think that ability for you to identify understanding those things not only helps you with your skills and being a, a larger thinker, but it also helps you connect the dots and think through better decision making so that you can move forward faster. Back to the first point we made of yeah. getting everybody in the room. That, that to me makes the most sense. Um, and I think there are capabilities for organizations that need to be holistic, but I also think there's a personal approach to what are people curious about? Because curiosity to me is what helps an organization also move forward faster. Well, um, one, one last question before we wrap up here. Um, what is uh, one of the best lessons you think companies have learned about uh, customer experience from the last 12 months and, and the, the pandemic? Uh, you know, what can smart organizations take forward to hopefully do things better, regardless of uh, what the months ahead bring? Just from my perspective, I think there were organizations who uh, began to uh, withdraw a little bit from that, that they felt like getting out there was risky and that customers were kind of shrinking back and so did organizations. But I saw many organizations who had been doing customer experience who began to realize that they couldn't be agile and make moves quickly without truly understanding what the impact was going to be to the experience because those had changed. So they paid more attention to it. They almost doubled down on it. And I think they learned that the ability for you to really listen and understand the needs of those customers and how you move toward that is where the success really comes into play and the dollars follow um, that these organizations realized that they could provide those things. And that's what made the difference in sometimes then thriving or struggling during this time. I think they also, because they had to move faster um, use the strength and superpower, I call it, of customer experience um, as a discipline to think more holistically. If you're going to move an organization along, you can't move a chess piece at a time. You have to get everybody on the same path and move things all together at once. And that's what CX professionals are really good at, is looking and connecting those dots and making sure all everything's thought of before they launch and before you make a move. Uh, so I think those were two kind of key takeaways. Well, uh, Diane, thank you so much for joining the show. Always, always love talking with you. Um, for those listening, uh, what's the best way for them to keep up with what you're doing? 
hey, I'm on LinkedIn, but I'm also on a lot of um, uh, talks and, and shows like, like yours, Greg, um, really trying to evangelize how um, the world is changing for us and how important the experience and adopting experience for everybody, whether it's customer, employee, partner, supplier, um, how we're really helping organizations to move forward and, and why, if you're smart and you want to be agile, innovative, and um, uh, collaborative, that this can really be something to, to, to put your put your money on, so to speak. Yeah. So, yeah. You can catch me anywhere. I'm on LinkedIn. Wonderful. I'm, well, yeah. Well, again, I'd like to thank uh, Diane Majors, founder and chief experience officer at Experience Catalyst for joining the show. Thanks for listening to The Agile World with Greg Kilstrom. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile World podcast brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, from my website at theagile.world.